Hi, you're listening to a sermon from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. We're so glad you're listening. If you'd like more information, you can visit us online at oakhills.org or phone us at 916-983-0181. Pretty powerful and vivid demonstration of the complicated, messy, elusive issue of beauty. And this is our topic today as we continue to pull up a chair together and do our best to talk together about the messy and the challenging issues that are swirling in our cultural setting these days. And our intention, as I've mentioned already several times, our intention in this series is to authentically struggle with these hard and sometimes controversial topics of today's culture and to struggle with these things and come at the struggle first and foremost as citizens of God's kingdom, as followers of our King Jesus. And it is not easy to do that because we come to these subjects with preconceived notions. We come to these topics with pre-existing perspectives. We've got it sort of locked in and we've figured out where this topic fits in our particular theology and psychology and where that topic fits. And there's probably none that we're exploring in the weeks of this series that have more of this pre-existing perspective than the issue of beauty. And so I would encourage us as we come into this subject to do the best we can to hold our many pre-existing perspectives on the subject of beauty loosely in open hands uh, with the idea that we want together to invite God's spirit into this discussion, to invite God's spirit to come and to actually teach us and be our teacher and shape or possibly reshape our attitude and our perspective on beauty. So I invite you to pray with me. Holy Spirit, we come and we gather in your name. We gather together because we have this crazy idea that When we do this, you're in our midst. When we open the Bible, that your words are there and they speak to the issues of our soul and they speak to the issues in our culture. And we come today as we think about beauty. We would like to have your perspective. We would like to have your words, your ideas. And where those collide with our own, give us the grace and the humility uh, to make way for you and to step aside, that your truth might become our truth. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you would stand for our scripture reading, I've chosen a passage from the Sermon on the Mount to form the basis of this discussion on beauty. I'm going to be reading from Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to actually read verses 19 all the way through verse 34. I would encourage you, if you've got a Bible and you've got it open, I uh, would encourage you that to leave it open as we go along. I say this uh, because I think it's true that even if through the course of what I'm talking about, if you find yourself drifting off or uh, if you find me droning on, which you will, I would encourage you to simply read some of the verses that are in this Matthew passage. And those verses alone can be used by God's Spirit to speak, to shape, to teach. And they're worth considering as we reflect together on Beauty. Beginning in verse 19 of chapter 6, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves 
treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. (coughs) But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you You of little faith. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. This passage offers timely and sharp wisdom as we think about beauty and the various ideas surrounding this subject. It opens up discussions about what beauty really is and where it ultimately comes from and the many ways it is distorted in our culture these days. Like most of the topics in this Pull Up a Chair series, there's far more to cover under the heading of beauty than we have time to cover in one single Message. So I want to begin by trying to frame our thoughts on beauty with a few general overarching comments. First of all, beauty actually exists. God is described as beautiful in the Bible. We sang about this earlier. We worshiped together around this idea that God is beautiful, that he embodies uh, the beauty of his character, the, the beauty of his being. In the Bible, Queen Vashti and a woman named Esther from the book of the same name are described as, quote, lovely to look at and beautiful. Joseph is described as well-built and handsome. Absalom is described as highly praised for his handsome appearance. So the Bible has these Passages, these ideas contained within it that bring forth this idea of beauty and even physical beauty. And we recognize beauty when we encounter it. Sometimes beauty is indeed in the eye of the beholder. So it is relative. It's up to a given individual as to what is beautiful and what isn't beautiful. But other times beauty just is. And it is undeniable. Lake Tahoe is objectively Beautiful. The northern California coast of the Pacific Ocean is objectively beautiful. And so it is important to acknowledge at the outset that this thing called beauty is an actual thing. And to make it more specific to what we're talking about, physical beauty is an actual thing. It's real. 
And certainly, real, authentic, ultimate beauty goes beyond the surface of appearances. But we are physical beings created with bodies. So there's an aspect of this issue of beauty that is physical, and we see it, and we know when we have seen it. Second overarching comment, when we think about this topic of beauty, the default assumption I think many of us probably have is that this is primarily a female issue. Something women deal with more than men. Something many women struggle with. And the video we watched depicted, I think very well, the inner turmoil and the secret struggle women experience around this whole idea of beauty. And in today's culture, I do believe, maybe in every culture throughout history, but I do believe in today's culture, the issue of beauty is particularly challenging for women. So I don't want to artificially flatten the field and say, well, we all deal with this and we're all the same in this, because I don't think we are all the same. But it does need to be said, it needs to be acknowledged up front here, that men also struggle with aspects of what we would call beauty. Or let me say it this way, this man struggles with certain aspects of what we would call beauty. For example, men struggle sometimes with body image issues. Let me say it differently. This man struggles and has with body image issues. Some men struggle with their physical appearance, especially as they age. They want to be thought of as they age as still having it. They want others to find them attractive. They wonder if they are. They wonder if in any way they are desirable or if they can continue to be desirable as they get older. And as you can imagine, men usually struggle with beauty issues alone and very alone. Because this is not cool. And this is not macho to admit body image insecurities so men often don't admit it. They struggle silently. Third, the challenge, the challenge is around the issue of beauty. All that we're going to talk about, all of the potholes and the landmines and the concerns we're going to try to navigate does not mean in any way physical health, fitness, or paying attention to our appearance is altogether wrong or should be discarded altogether. We're not saying that. God created us as physical beings. We have bodies, and all throughout the Bible, our bodies are part of our spiritual life. The, the physical part of us, our physical being, our body, is encompassed in this meta-narrative or this large tent we would call our spiritual life. And how we treat and take care of our bodies is part of our stewardship under God. So there's a place, certainly, for health and fitness and eating right and for doing our best to look our best. Now, it is obviously true in our time that people take all these things that are okay to a point and they go overboard on things like health and fitness and cosmetics and they become overly fixated on clothes and how they look and their appearance and so forth. But sometimes people do the exact opposite. They dismiss the externals altogether. They're actually judgmental toward those 
who put effort into their appearance. These are the anti-external people, we might say. The mindset sometimes goes something like this, though few would probably ever admit it. Spiritual people don't care about how they look. The closer we get to God, the less we care about our outward appearance. So they dress down, or they don't wear makeup, or they don't wear deodorant, or whatever. They pride themselves, you might say, in their plainness. But their motivation may not necessarily be contentment in who they are in Christ. Their motivation might be anger or bitterness toward those who they deem to be more physically attractive. Or it might be anger at self that drives the discarding of all external appearance, what we call shame. And their shame manifests in a dismissiveness toward all things connected to this idea of beauty. Fourth overarching comment, though beauty is inherently physical, it is intensely spiritual. So navigating beauty well, all the twists and turns and nuances, is about approaching these twists and turns and nuances first as citizens of God's kingdom. And we're sunk if we come at this with any identity first other than a citizen of the kingdom. How would Jesus have us negotiate the chaos of beauty in today's culture? Therein lies the question. How would Jesus have us navigate through all this chaos? Or maybe say it this way, in light of our particular past, our particular experiences with shame, in light of our unique story around issues related to beauty, how is Jesus inviting us to follow him in this particular area? See, to deal authentically with this issue, we must avoid the legalistic generalizing that wants to make lists of what is right and okay and lists of what is wrong and not okay. For example, well, makeup is okay, but hair coloring is not okay. Nice clothes are okay as long as they were purchased at Target and not at Nordstrom's. We might call these fashion Pharisees, where we get this sort of judgmental labeling that is really just the kind of legalism that wants to make lists of what is and what is not right. And I think this kind of legalism misses the point entirely. For citizens of God's kingdom, our bodies, our physical appearance, the care we have about these things, the shame We feel deep in our blood the judgments we make on ourselves and on others, the dismissiveness we have about these things, the way we run toward these things to medicate something within, the way we run away from these things to medicate something within. All of these are spiritual issues and they matter in terms of who we are becoming as an individual and they matter in terms of who we are becoming as a faith community. And we can always find loopholes and excuses to legitimize our particular perspective and then create straw people from the worst elements of the opposite of our perspective. It's really easy to do this. But the hope in this topic today is to struggle with it ourselves. 
not in general legalistic categories, to struggle with it ourselves in light of our story and history and pray through and discern the Holy Spirit's Spirit's guidance in our lives as it relates to the particular issues we have within the arena of beauty. Fifth and last overarching comment, our culture is off the rails on this subject of beauty. (coughs) We could spend the rest of the time talking about the various ways in which the culture has gone haywire on this topic of beauty. I don't say that as an outsider, or I don't say that to imply that we are outsiders looking out at the culture in a judgment. For we are part of it, and dare I say, we as followers of Christ have contributed to the haywireness of the culture. But it is off the rails on this topic of beauty. We are not talking about a slight tweak to get back on point. So this is really a really significant topic for citizens of the kingdom of God to think about and work through. And this is especially significant for women who are citizens of the kingdom of God to sort out and work through. I tried to get input from women on this subject and for the last several weeks. Some of it I solicited, others I didn't need to solicit. They just came to me. You should talk about this. You should talk about that. Make sure you say this. Make sure you say that. This is one of those subjects, I want to just say it outright, where a woman's perspective and a woman's insight is more helpful than an aging white guy's perspective and insight. I'm willing and glad to admit I'm over my head on this topic because it is so inherently difficult and delicate, and I realize, and I want to name this, that this is a particularly challenging issue for women, and this is an issue that men have contributed to in a variety of ways we'll talk about in a moment. So since I'm over my head, and since this is very much tied to challenges that many women face, we thought it was a good idea to hear from a woman on this subject. So I'd like you to Give a welcome to Amy Middleton, who's going to come up and share with us. So obviously this is a part of what we're trying to do in this series is pull up a chair and put into action the things that we have said uh, that we're talking about. And this is a tough subject. This is a, a difficult issue to talk about beauty and to sort of vulnerably open up about all the various twists and turns and nuances that are associated with this subject. So appreciate you doing this, Amy. And just to start with, you hear the word beauty. What goes off in you? What do you think of? Yeah, um, I guess the first thing I think of when I hear the word beauty is that I missed the mark. I failed. It was the childhood dream. It feels like this expectation that I was supposed to live up to and that I'm still supposed to. And I know being overweight probably adds to that for me a bit. But, um, yeah, I just feel, like, humiliated when I hear the word beauty because I can't can't get it right and I can't hide it because it's public knowledge. So you, you and I 
talked many times uh, about your life and story and so on, so I know a little bit about this, but I think it would be helpful in the context of today's subject to talk a bit about the culture of beauty in your formative years growing up and in your family of origin. Yeah. Um, so I grew up in a Christian home, and um, my dad was, like, very fit, and that was very important, and it was important that we were fit. And my mom struggled with her weight and uh, didn't have the time or energy to put into her body that my dad had. And it was public knowledge in our home. It was very openly discussed that that was very wrong of her. And um, comments would be made about not eating seconds, like that's disrespectful to the family. Um, comments would be made as I got older and my dad, you know, was passing on his wisdom, who, by the way, I love my dad and he regrets a lot of this, but um, would say things to me like, you know, it's not possible that your mom actually loves me because part of loving a man is like being beautiful and men are visual people. So she couldn't possibly love me and be overweight and um, not prioritize her health. At the time I was athletic and thin and, you know, the world told me I was beautiful, so I had nothing in me, like, pushed back at that. I believed it. It made sense to me, and a lot of other factors in life, I think, fed that same narrative for me. Did you, do you recall um, when those kinds of things were said? Did they solidify what you already thought, or did they come to you as a new idea? Oh, I wasn't aware of that. I guess I need to incorporate that into my value system. Or did that strike you as contrary to your values or confirming of your values? Um, definitely confirming my values. I mean, I grew up in that environment, so it's naturally what I believed. And there were four kids in my family, and one of my sisters struggled with her weight growing up. And, like, you know, it was like my dad would pay her to try to get healthy. And so as things were said, I believed it. I mean, I ended up with an eating disorder, Later, you know, not because I needed to lose weight. I just never wanted to deal with weight. And I remember, like, talking to my father about it once and kind of dramatizing how bad it was because I wanted attention. And um, he was like, well, that's, you know, you're, you're a smart girl. You see your flaws and you want to fix them. So, like, in some ways it confirmed it and then magnified yeah, yeah. it a lot. We don't, I don't want to jump off on this, but I just have to say it you, you you made this comment in the context of the sentence when you started all this you said i grew up in a christian home and then you proceeded to go into these ways in which your father would lay this stuff on you and label and i just that that's ironic and worthy of a long discussion we don't have time for but that just yeah. struck me the way that those two things get smashed together without pause anyway so uh, you grew up in a christian home um, and uh, been part of church forever. So you think about this topic, clearly there's wounds, there's pain that you've experienced in this. Talk about how the church has either been a source of uh, healing on those wounds or pain, additional pain, or maybe both. Yeah, definitely the church has been both. Without weighing the sides against each other, I'll just say... On the painful side, you know, you get to know people and there's a lot of parts of my life that are broken and 
I have a lot of, you know, I struggle with criticalness. I struggle with consumerism. I struggle with a lot of things. And as I look back over my time as an adult believer, the one obvious thing in my life that everybody has been willing to rally around me for is my health. And, um, and I believe it was with like total love for me and good intentions. I don't have any ill will for it, but it's a little bit overwhelming as you're getting to know somebody or trusting somebody and they, you know, nobody comes up with kindness plans for me. It's never happened. Nobody's like that. I'll be your kindness partner. Let's text every day and say what we're doing to be nice. Um, but a lot of people have like wanted to be my don't know, health partner, I guess. So that's hard. On the, on the healing side, there's also a lot of people here um, who have just not made a big deal out of it. And I make it such a big deal in my head. When I encounter that, it's shocking to me and doesn't sit well at first. But it's been really healing to hear people speak into my life that um, God doesn't just see my... This is not a sin in your life that has to be... You know, it might be a symptom of some issues that you have, but... Their words speaking to me about the sin I see is more your the way you view yourself. That's the thing that needs to be dealt with here, um, and that body would be second has been a huge gift. Yeah. So you have a lot of people here, friends and relationships, and as you think about this with regard to other women, yeah. Um, are we are we wading into something that's you know maybe a couple people deal with, or are we wading into something that is a is a is an issue, a, a prevailing issue that many women struggle with? Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, um, I've told you a couple of things my dad has said over the years that are probably sound really big and huge, but and they are. I'm not minimizing it. But my story, I don't think, is all that unique. I have a lot of friends here. I've been mentored by many people here. I have mentored others, worked with a lot of high schoolers. This is a common pain that we're feeling as women. We just cannot live up to this. And it's not just women that are struggling with their weight. It's women that run all day, every day, trying to never have to deal with their weight. Or um, We're just aging, and that's a hard process. And I'll just say, I said it in first service, I also went to a Christian school, so to take it off my family. Um, my senior year of high school, we had to write, like, a, our Bible final project was, like, this goals for the future kind of thing. And I, I still have it. And I remember specifically when it came to, like, my family goals, I wrote this long thing about how it was, like, all about how much I would exercise and be this beautiful wife and take care of my health. And I would never be – and it, I got an A, like – I never got A's on anything. So, like, <laughs> that was a, that was another, like, stamp, yeah. good job. You're, you know what it means to be a good wife. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, I would say there's probably not a woman in this room that doesn't deal with the weight of what society says is beauty and our desire to want to hit the mark and where we can't, especially if it's you're overweight. That's not something I can hide my critical spirit. I can look nice when I'm not. Um I can't hide the fact that I'm overweight. There's nothing I can do about that. It's an area of my life you're all invited into automatically. So, And I'm not alone. So I'm just saying the thin friends I have feel my pain just like I feel it. This took a lot of guts. Thank you.
So we are indeed on sacred ground. And I want to jump into this and see if we can make our way through. Let's talk for a bit about the pressure to measure up to an elusive standard. Amy just elaborated on this wonderfully. There's hardly much I have to say about it. But I want to go back to the passage we read from Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 27. Jesus says, Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? This fascinating, perceptive, and precise teaching in a culture obsessed with external appearance. And the last phrase of this passage about the futility of worrying to add even one more hour to your life, and some of your Bibles may have this note at the bottom, can actually be translated to add a single inch to your height. Think about the way height is treasured by both men and women in today's culture. Tall, dark, and handsome. Long-legged. And this points to the massive amounts of energy and expense dedicated to make ourselves appear or seem taller, leaner, younger, with less blemishes and moles and markings. Over $80 billion of annual sales revenue comes in in this beauty and personal care product industry In the United States alone. And the market is rising. And many of these products, as you know, are designed to combat the effects of aging or at least cover up the aging process. So we, this word again, appear more beautiful. I mean, this is everywhere. This kind of fixation on external appearance. I had this weird experience the other day where I was over by Golden One, the credit union, and I was leaving that parking lot. I was behind a pickup truck. Don't ask me why that matters, but it does. And it was all over this pickup truck was this advertising for some kind of anti-aging cream and skin rejuvenizer. Want to look younger? These questions all over this thing. Want to do away with those wrinkles? Want to make yourself... Want people to make your, want to make people think you're 30 when you're actually 50? It didn't say that, but it should have. It'd have been more honest. I just thought this was weird on the back of a truck. Now I admit this is truckism at its finest. I don't think of trucks as billboards for skin rejuvenation. One woman in the course of getting ready for this mentioned to me, and this was her word, that there's a standard. Amy said the same word that's now been established by various forces out there. And there's tremendous pressure on women to meet or achieve or exceed the standard, even though the standard changes depending on the trends. The pressure women feel about the size and shape of various parts of their bodies. And the ways in which we men feed the pressure by what we talk about, by what we say under our breath, by the jokes that get told... By the fixation we have on outward appearance and all of it being lumped into this exact phrase Amy said, where we sort of say as men, well, we're visual people. As if that somehow 
justifies the objectifying of people, women, who've been made in the image of Almighty God. You're living under that pressure. Nothing's ever good enough. Pressure and more pressure to measure up to an impossible-to-meet standard. More products that promise to reverse the effects of aging and more procedures available to tighten up this and smooth out that and enlarge this and shrink that. And the question is, how do we find the kingdom in all of this and then seek it first to use Jesus' Matthew 6 instruction? With this pressure comes competition to outdo the next person. Look better than them. Look younger than them. I've been told this by many, many women over the years, that women fiercely and usually secretly compete with each other on this field of outward appearance, which adds even more pressure to the equation. And this constant pressure creates what Jesus so brilliantly identifies in our passage as worry, anxiety about life, about our bodies, about what we will wear, about our size, our shape, our height, our weight, our age, our appearance, worry. Interestingly, all of Matthew chapter 6 is about doing religious things in order to look or appear a particular way. The motivation is to be seen in a particular light. To be seen by others is the actual phrase Jesus repeats in this chapter. So this is a chapter about how human beings seek first the approval the endorsement, the applause, and the adoration of other people instead of seeking first the kingdom and his righteousness. Am I thin enough? Is my hair getting gray? Am I starting to look old? Do others think of me as desirable? Do they find me attractive? Am I beginning to lose it? And lurking behind this anxiety, what products can I buy and what procedures can I undergo to slow the effects of aging and keep me looking beautiful? Keep me desirable in the minds of others. Keep me appearing to be attractive. And we absolutely have to think about this as Jesus' people who are living in a culture obsessed to the core with outward Appearance, Because Jesus is inviting citizens of his kingdom to treasure, is the word he uses, prize, value, esteem, his kingdom and his righteousness. The rightness and the goodness of Jesus' way. Eternal things above all this earthly stuff. Dallas Willard wrote, we reveal what our treasures are by what we try to protect, secure, and keep. Think of his remark in light of the $80 billion personal care industry in our country alone. And again, I'm not suggesting we take pride in our plainness or ignore our appearance. The same motivation behind the drive to look great can fuel the drive to look plain. But Jesus is reminding us of nothing less than the different reality we as his citizens are right now 
living in? Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? For the pagans run after, read, seek all these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. And I want to repeat this. We're missing the point when we make new laws or rules to govern these kinds of messy and complicated issues. We just simply cannot brush this off and say, well, certainly makeup is okay or makeup isn't okay. I mean, that's just rulemaking 101. We're right back to the very thing the Pharisees were doing and got chided for. At the same time, I think a real risk for many of us on this issue is that we give ourselves a free pass on everything we do to beautify ourselves. Every product we buy or every procedure we have is within the acceptable limits. But can you believe what Martha did? And so for all of us, it is good to put this out on the table, to bring this out of the secret world of our thoughts and the torment we go through on this and dump it on the table. There is suffocating pressure around the issues of beauty. And this is ultimately and primarily kingdom of God stuff for us to process and pray through together and discern Together. Second, let's talk about being comfortable in our skin. If you are someone as I am, who has any kind of history with shame, then you know how the idea of comfortable in our skin is such a far-reaching concept, hard to access and even harder to experience. This idea of being at peace in our own bodies, content with the size of this and the shape of that, even if we are in the process of trying to change some aspect of our shape that is actually changeable, accepting ourselves, accepting our own physical body, walking into a room and feeling the eyes on us, or so we think, living out the various moments of our days with all the thoughts running through us, but doing so with a sense of wholeness in our physical appearance. Put it real simply, living those moments with the sense of we lack nothing. We did not miss a line physically. We didn't get in a wrong line physically. We lack nothing. In Jesus' words, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? You know, I think a lot of the energy driven toward the externals of beauty is because ultimately this question Jesus asks, are you not much more valuable than they? If we really were to respond to him authentically, we'd say, no, I'm not. And that's why all this energy and all this time and all this money and all this inner fuel goes toward presenting myself to the world, appearing to be a certain way, so they give me the value I so desperately want but have not yet experienced. Jesus is describing the present moment reality of the kingdom of God right now to meet us in those places of 
physical lack or the lack we think we have physically. And can you imagine how living in this reality of God's good kingdom, this reality where we knew experientially we were more valuable to God than anything, how this reality might transform us. Being comfortable in our skin is a clear application of what Jesus is saying to us in this passage from Matthew 6. Put it this way, we're gracious with our own bodies. We're gracious with our appearance. We grow in contentment with our body and with our appearance. And I realize the wounds we are up against in this journey, Amy outlined them in a stunning fashion. But this acceptance is not dependent on our willpower. It is dependent on the power and reality of the kingdom of God present right now to meet us at that point of struggle. We don't have to live under the pressure of trying to measure up to some external standard established by Kim Kardashian or Jennifer Lopez or Brad Pitt or Jennifer Aniston or Beyonce or Hollywood. We don't have to secretly compete with those around us. We don't have to obsess over our appearance. I found the video we watched a moment ago a stunning example of how common it is for human beings to be restless and uneasy and troubled in their own skin. We perceive ourselves in ways others do not. And all this is going on in our inner world. The the shame churning within us projects this dark and rather underwhelming version of us on the walls of our minds, and we see it constantly. But the story our shame is telling us is very often not the story others are telling us. You know how this goes. We walk into a room, and for some of us, our mind is racing with concern over what others are thinking of us, what they're thinking about what we're wearing, what they're thinking about, did this person gain weight from the last time I saw them? Or, wow, this person's really gained weight from the last time I saw them. All this is going on. The reality is they probably aren't thinking about us at all. Look at the money we spend and the time we invest to manipulate the perceptions of others who may not even have those perceptions. So our fixation on appearance and our pursuit of beauty is ultimately, I think, maybe really what it's about is quieting the inner turmoil. It may ultimately be about trying to get comfortable in our own skin more than it's about just looking as good as we can. Trying to quiet something. I got to tell you, I mentioned this earlier, this has been an issue for me my whole life. My body has often felt like an overstarched three piece suit that's too short in the arms, too tight in the legs with this just way too small turtleneck just choking me every second. Very uncomfortable in my own skin for most of my life. Just fidgety, just can't feel at home in my skin. To say I was uncomfortable in my skin would be a terrific understatement. Jesus says we don't have to live under this pressure, that God is available through Christ to meet us in that place of perceived physical scarcity and all the pressure, and all the turmoil. So Jesus says, do not worry. You get this? 
He's not just making up the lyrics of a cute song. Hey, don't worry. He's actually saying because of reality. You are a kingdom citizen. More valuable than you can possibly imagine. Every aspect of your life and being fashioned by God Himself, you're perfectly safe in His care. Therefore, do not worry. And you know the word worry in this context means, believe it or not, strangled. Choked. It's that tight turtleneck. Boy, I feel like I'm choking. Yeah, don't worry. That's what it is. Do not worry about your life, how long it will last, how many years you have. Don't worry about your body. Don't worry about your height. Don't worry about your size. Don't worry about your shape. Don't worry about your eye color. For your life is not in those things. Your beauty is not determined by other people. It's not established or ratified by their opinion. Your peace is not derived from people thinking you're younger than you are. Your confidence is not in people thinking your skin is smoother than it actually is. Last January, we got a yellow lab, our second yellow lab. Our first one, Moose, died a few years ago, so we got a second one. His name is Gus, and God has been wrecking me through this four-legged friend in ways I never imagined. Julie and I were gone last week. He was at a dog kennel. I picked him up yesterday morning. I was sitting outside in our backyard yesterday afternoon working on this, trying to finish it. He's out there with me. And all of a sudden, for no particular reason, he just took off galloping around our yard. You know how that is? They kind of, like something gets into him or just like, wait, I'm going to run. And he just starts galloping, sprinting from one end of the yard to the other. He's got no form at all. His back legs are flying out like sea biscuit. I absolutely love it when a dog does this. It's a supreme picture of joy and freedom. No more prison. No more kennel. No more four cement walls that are just boxing me in. No more long days cooped up back in the comfort of his home and all the familiar sights and sounds and smells of his backyard. And he just could not contain himself. So he just took off and galloped. And every time I see him take off and gallop and do this kind of thing, I think to myself, this is exactly how God wants me to be. Free. Unhindered. Joy-filled. Free to be who I am and what I am without all of the prison walls around me everywhere I go. Without, without all of the concrete cell following me into every room and around every corner. Without all of the hindrances and all of the constraints. Comfortable in my skin. Thankful for the body God gave me. Trusting Him to continue to do His work within to transform all the pain and the Heal all the brokenness, but thankful for this body and able to gallop in the freedom of his grace. Third, let's talk about a new way of seeing and at the risk of naming people or calling specific groups out. I want to talk about this and I want to specifically talk about this with regard to men. A new way of seeing. Matthew 6.22, Jesus makes This interesting statement, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If your eyes are healthy, 
See, our eyes and how we see shape us. And they shape other people. Amy was shaped by how her dad saw. In the context of beauty then, our eyes and how we see and what we treasure shape us and form us into a particular kind of people and shape us and form us into a particular kind of congregation and shape and form others who receive what turns in us based on how we see. I want to show you two pictures to help us see the importance of how we see and the ways our eyes reveal what it is we actually treasure. So picture one. Miss Kim Kardashian, in some ways, for some, I suppose, the epitome of beauty. Certainly, she is in the conversation when we start talking about standards of beauty. Put up the second picture. This picture was taken in Italy on the steps of a, this woman was on the steps of a church. People were filing past her to go look at this ancient church. And she was just laying there with her head in one hand, little bowl there in front of her, little cardboard sign needing help. You notice she has huge hands. I'm not an expert, but I don't think that's part of the beauty culture for a woman to have big hands. She's begging for mercy. She's quietly revealing her desperation. What do your eyes see in these two pictures? What do these pictures light off in you just in looking at them? What is beautiful in your eyes? Jesus had eyes to see beauty where others saw interruption and intrusion and hassle. Jesus had eyes to see the beauty of human desperation. He saw the soul behind the turmoil. He saw through appearances. And this has so much to teach us about beauty in a highly visual world where appearances are overvalued. I want to tell you about my wife, Julie, for a moment. She's not here today, so I'm purposely telling you this in order to avoid the sappy, oh, the pastor adores his wife nonsense. So I'm telling you because she's not here. I think Julie is stunningly beautiful. That includes her physical appearance, but it's far more than that in her case. We were recently in our backyard catching up with each other, and she told what I thought was a most remarkable story, but she told it in a way that indicated to me she didn't think it was all that remarkable. She was driving to work one day. She works a mile from our house. She happened to be late on this day. And since she's not here, I'll say she's often late when she drives that mile to work. And as she was driving, she saw an older woman across from the park she passes on her way to work who was walking down the sidewalk with a walker. And Julie felt compelled to stop and get out and talk to the woman and find out her name, even though she was running late for work. There's been several times... Since that happened, we've been driving in the general area, and she'd say, oh, I wonder if Maria is out today. Why did she do that? I would suggest to you it is because Julie 
unlike almost anyone I've ever met, sees with kingdom eyes. She sees beauty beyond the externals. She sees the beauty of an older woman with a walker in Folsom where she no longer is productive or effective or efficient and therefore is a candidate to be ignored and discarded. And all of that adds up to the kingdom for her and the beauty of the kingdom. And it compelled her to step out and dignify this woman. Julie has transformed eyes. First Peter 3, verses 3-4, through 4, Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Inward beauty lasts, and it is unfazed by age. And as men in particular We desperately need transformed eyes to see actual beauty, not just fixate on external beauty. Lastly, let's talk about a healing community in the midst of the chaos. And this has to do with us, Oak Hills Church, a faith community. I am struck by all this pressure. Actually, is burdensome to think about. Listening to Amy say lots of people in this room struggle with that's just heavy and burdensome. I'm struck by the worry that people carry in this. It doesn't take a brain surgeon to stand up here and to have this kind of topic be going down and see people all throughout this discussion dabbing their eyes. It's not because they have allergies. This is deep-rooted stuff that gets right down to the soul of what it means to be human. This emphasis on looks and appearance. The pressure to keep skin looking young and revitalized. The pressure to stay fit. The pressure to measure up. The pressure to look nice. The pressure to have a small you fill in the blank and a big you fill in the blank. This whole industry of plastic surgery must be discerned by kingdom citizens. And I'm not talking about those who legitimately need surgery to heal from an accident or some other similar situation, but plastic surgery to slow down the aging process or to enhance this or to enhance that. All of that is spiritual stuff. It's kingdom stuff. And it needs discernment and prayer. And most especially, it needs conversation with others who are citizens of the kingdom, to discern the way. Maybe one of the best ways to capture the importance of what it means for us as a church to be a healing community in the midst of the cultural chaos around beauty is to think of little girls growing up under this pressure, the steady anxiety, the competition, the pressure to measure up to what Hollywood says is beautiful. The message they will get throughout their lifetime, you are what you look like. If you ever want a man, you better look good, and if you want to keep him, you better stay looking good. It's a message of performing, impressing, and treasuring the externals. What about being a community where the loud and clear message to the little girls in our lives is God 
delights in you. You're His beloved daughter. You are His beloved son. And there is nothing that can ever change that. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Every part of you and every blemish adds to the wonder of who you are. You heard a moment ago from someone who got the opposite message. Imagine launching young women into this world who are formed by these truths of being delighted in by God himself. That seems to me to be a rather compelling and desperately needed ministry of the church in a culture gone crazy over beauty. So I think we as a church are to be in the midst of all this chaos surrounding beauty as a healing community. A place in a people who are learning to see differently. Men who are seeing differently and treasuring more than external appearance. A place in a people where the externals are not the penultimate goal. A place in a people where blemishes are embraced, imperfections are met with grace, and all sizes and shapes and colors and intellects begin to find peace and love. They find a home where they can gallop and run without the cement walls going with them. Gallop without hindrance and run without restraint. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, your word takes the lid off of things. And it's not easy to pick through what's inside. And so we bring ourselves to these conversations and to the truth of your word. Aren't you more valuable than the birds of the air? Yes, indeed we are. For you have declared it. We are your beloved sons and daughters and we continue to pray for your grace to live in the reality of these deep and soulful truths. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being here today. Thanks for being patient. A little over. And as you leave, may the grace and the peace and the power of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Thanks for coming.